Steve mentioned I've been here before. The last time I was here, <laughs> some of you remember, did not go so well. Uh, I got through the, uh, this, well, the first service uh, that morning, and uh, during the second service, I just started to fade a little bit. Um, not noticeable. Uh, <laughs> and uh, after the service, Jamie was sitting down here, and then after the service, he came racing up to get me to the back, and I got to the back, and I, I couldn't, it's the first time I've ever had this, I couldn't breathe. I was really, uh, I don't know if scared's the right word. Uh, it seems like the right word. Um, and so they put me in a little golf cart and drove me to my car, and uh, away I went, then they used a video, and that was, I think, December 15th. And then in January, I had uh, open heart surgery. So that was the beginning of the, of the problem, and had some bypass, and now I'm back stronger than ever, which is, yeah. Which is not very strong. I, uh, I just finished my rehab, and I was the absolute stud in that room. Uh, I was the healthiest sick guy. I keep tripping on this. I was the healthiest sick guy in there. So it's uh, great to be back. Sandy and I came back early to be here from Cannon Beach, Oregon. Uh, we were up on the coast, uh, Cannon Beach, go to Portland, make a left, and you're in Cannon Beach. And I was there at the conference center teaching in the morning. Bill Butterworth was teaching in the afternoon. And Bill will be here uh, next Sunday. So we had a great time. We've been in Flag for a couple weeks and had great weather. Cannon Beach, the warmest day we had was 69. I mean, I know, it was absolutely perfect. I played golf, first time in two years. I played 12 holes at uh, a Flagstaff, so the ball flies further. Last hole is a par three, 200 yards. Hit my drive, hit it pretty good, and I had 40 yards left to the green. So I've lost some distance uh, along, <laughs> along the way. When uh, Jamie called and uh, we scheduled this date, I think it was in the fall, I'm not sure. Uh, and always the hard thing is, what are we gonna talk about? Well, this summer, at our Gilbert campus, uh, our lead pastor took some time off, a little study time, work time, and he put together a series called Five Guys. And uh, it was a takeoff on kind of the Five Guys restaurant and Five Guys teaching about five guys. And so I went to the meeting with the other four and uh, said, all right, who are you gonna talk about? And you could pick them, right? You could name them. Who, who are they going to teach on? Okay, this isn't going to work uh, if you don't answer. Be here a long time. Uh, Cactus Campus, I wish I was with you right now. Okay, so uh, here you go. Who would they typically talk about? Paul, John, Peter. And, and so out of this, I said, well, I'm going to do something a little bit different. Not for the sake of being different, but is there anybody I've thought about that I want to talk about? So I put together a series that I did at uh, Cannon Beach. Here was the title of the series. Uh, it was titled, uh, Learning from a Legend. Now, when I got here last night and saw that on the screen, I thought, well, this could be a little self-absorbed and misleading, okay? The legend, 
The legend in this was not me. It was the guys that we were talking about. And so the guy that I chose for that series at Gilbert, and the guy that I've chosen to talk about this morning is a guy that I've, I could not find a biography written about him. I don't know that I've even heard a message ever about him. His name is Demas. Uh, Demas is mentioned three times in the New Testament. First two times in the book of Colossians, book of Philemon, he is part of a group that as Paul's closing this letter, he says, for example, in Colossians 4.14, Luke, my beloved physician, sends you his greetings, and also Demas. Philemon one twenty four. it is Luke, my fellow worker, and Demas as well. So as I started to do my study on, on Demas, I was able to discover four things about Demas. Number one, he was Paul's fellow worker. They, they worked together. He wasn't, and, and I really want to make this point because we're going to have to, you and I are going to have to work on this together because I need you to come into the story with me, okay? He wasn't just a groupie that was tagging along with Paul. He was engaged in ministry with him. He was a traveling companion. He was with Paul during Paul's first imprisonment. And this is a big point to me. He was a recipient of Paul's involvement. Paul was invested in him. One author writes this, together they, that's Paul and Demas, worked enduring various troubles and persecution to extend the kingdom of God. This speaks highly of Demas at that point in time, for Paul was very selective and careful about with whom he labored for the Lord. It's apparent since he rejected John, also known as Mark, for past unfaithfulness, and that's recorded in Acts chapter 15, verse 37 through 41. Let, let me remind you or tell you that story. Paul and Barnabas are setting out for the first missionary journey, and Barnabas says, listen, I got this young guy I want to bring along. His, his name is John Mark, and, and Paul said, okay, bring him along. And then somewhere during that journey, John Mark blew out. As they go back out on their second missionary journey, Barnabas says, I want to, I want to bring along John Mark, and Paul says, absolutely not. And, and Luke in the book of Acts says, a sharp disagreement arose among these two guys. So strong that these co-workers and friends, Barnabas and Paul, split. Barnabas takes Silas, that's one group. I'm sorry, Barnabas takes John Mark, that's one group. Paul takes Silas, that's another. Paul looked at, at John Mark and said, listen, I can't afford to have a novice with me. Barnabas looked at him and said, he makes mistakes. I can see him doing something like this. Paul, you, you probably never made any mistakes. 
Whatever it was, they split over this. And Paul said, I vetted him. I'm drawing the line. I can't afford to have these weak, novice people around me. So now if Demas is in that group, that speaks pretty highly of them. Here's what I want you to see. The relationship between Demas and Paul was a strong relationship, much more than something casual. It was an ongoing ministry of co-laborers. Paul investing time and energy and effort, perhaps even money, in Demas as they labored together. So I said, uh, Demas is, is mentioned three times. The two we looked at, here's the third mention. It's 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 9, and the first part of verse 10. Paul writes to Timothy, he says, make every effort to come to me soon, for Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me. Now, I want to jump right in and help you understand what the world, the word deserted means. Deserted, forsaken, it's the idea of leaving somebody in a dire strait to utterly abandon. It's, it's not just to, to walk away, it's stronger than to just walk away. It's to walk away and leave you, not in this wonderful circumstances and abandoning you that way, it's abandoning you in the midst of a moment of deep need. Here are these two guys. Here's Demas, who's labored with Paul, worked with Paul, suffered with Paul who's been intimately involved in his ministry, and away he goes. Back to that verse, it's make every effort to come to me soon. Why? What would pull a man like Demas away from a guy like Paul? What could pull me away from this ministry? What perhaps could pull you away from what God has for you? You see it, right? Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me. I I looked at 23 translations or paraphrases of this verse, and and I selected two to share with you that that maybe kind of color it in a little bit. Here's Eugene Peterson in his paraphrase, the message of this same passage. He says to Timothy, get here as fast as you can, Demas chasing fads, went off to Thessalonica, left me here. The New Living Translation uh, uh, translates it, paraphrases it this way. Timothy, please come as soon as you can. Demas has deserted me because he loves the thing of life. What would pull Demas away? Well, it's chasing fads. It's the things of this life. John warns about this in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 and 16. He writes, don't love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. It's an either or, fits my personality. I like it that way, black or white. It has that ring of, you're either for me or against me. There is no spiritual Switzerland here. There's no neutral ground. 
James says it this way in James 4.4, you adulterers, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. When we talk about the word world here, it could have different meanings. It doesn't mean the planet, nor does it mean the people in it. It's the world system. It's the world's perspective. It's a world view based on world values. And back to that passage in 1 John, those two worlds are in conflict. Don't love the world or the things of the world. For the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life, those are not from the Father. John said, here's these areas of temptation. When you, when you think lust, you tend to think sexual. That's a small part of it. It can be lust for anything. Some of you right now, you didn't have breakfast. The only thing standing between you and a, 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 a big old, here, here, pigs in a blanket, okay? As you, as you order that, remember you are what you eat, okay? <laughs> So pigs in a blanket, you're getting ready for pigs in a blanket. The only thing standing between you and those pigs are me, okay? And you're lusting them. It's the lust of the flesh. They're the natural desires and rebellion. The lust of the eyes. Something looks so good. It's an avenue that Satan uses to tempt you. It's the boastful pride of life. It's arrogance over circumstances. It's the idea that you can control things. This is so basic that we can go all the way back to Genesis 3 and and see the origin of this in the human race. Satan, uh, the serpent, appears to Eve and tempts her. And then Genesis 3, 6, when the woman saw the tree was good for food, lust of the flesh, a delight to the eyes, lust of the eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make her wise, she took the fruit and she ate it. That's Satan's basic 101 approach. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, boastful pride of life. Not only is it standard, he has great confidence in it. As Jesus comes out of the desert, after 40 days in the desert, he comes out and and Satan is there and said, hey, you gotta be hungry, I'm paraphrasing here. You gotta be hungry, take these rocks, turn them into bread, lust of the flesh. Look at all of this, all of this out there, lust of the eyes, it could be yours. If you're really God, throw yourself off this cliff and angels will catch you boastful, prideful. Well, here's Demas, and the things of this world have caused him to desert Paul. What would Jesus say about it? Well, in Matthew chapter 13, we see Matthew's kind of recording of what we look at as the the parable of the seed and the sower. Uh, along comes the man and he casts the seed onto different soil and he gets four different responses. That third response would be the one that we'd associate with Demas. Other seed fell on thorns and the thorns came up and choked them out. Well, what the heck does that mean? 
verse 22, the one on whom the seed is sown among thorns, this is the man who hears the word and, and the worries of the world or the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word. One of my favorite passages, if you've opened to 2 Timothy, all you got to do is go to the left to 1 Timothy. And if you're somebody who's been around East Valley Bible Church and Redemption Church and Priority Living, you have heard me talk about this. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6, Paul's writing, and I love this. He said in 1 Timothy 6, 6, Godliness plus contentment is great gain. We came into the world with nothing. We're leaving with nothing. We have food and covering with those we should be content. And he talks about what I consider to be the missing ingredient and a key ingredient in all of life if you're ever to have that satisfaction and that smoothness of an intimate relationship with Christ, this idea of contentment. As Paul continues to write in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17, he says, instruct those who are rich in this present world. Now, I'm going to tell you, from years of experience, that's a tough verse to apply because when you hear rich, what you think is anybody who has more money than you. Scott's still Bible, and my assumption is this is not a secret. If it's not true, at least has the perception that there's a lot of people here with a lot of scratch, okay? I don't know if it's true or not, but I guarantee some of you do. And all of a sudden, you hear rich, and you want to go, well, I guess I can check out now. He's not talking to me. No, I'm essentially talking to anybody and everybody in this room. It's all comparative, isn't it? By a world standard, everybody in here is rich. Here's the warning, and let me see if I can connect it together and then give you some practical application. Instruct those who are present, are rich in this present world, number one, not to be conceited. If you have some level of success, you have a tendency to be conceited. You have no idea how tempting it is for me to jump into this thing. <laughs> I looked at it all last night. I looked at it again. Everything in me wants to go in there, but that wouldn't be a good idea. But, but I, I digress, okay? Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited. So let's say you're in a little office with uh, 10 people in it, and you're the top salesperson. At the end of the year, here's where they're going to say, hey, we got a sales meeting next week. Can you make a presentation? Because you're the top salesperson we got. And there's something in you that, that, that there's something appealing to that. If you're an author and all of a sudden your books are flying off the shelf, you're an athlete and all of a sudden your stats are the best in the league, whatever it is, if you're successful, there's a tendency to be conceited. That's one mistake. Don't do it. Here's the second thing. Or fix your hope on the uncertainty of riches. When he says the uncertainty of riches, he doesn't just mean we've got money and then it leaves. Some of you, 
in this room in 2008, 9, and 10 experienced what we call asset erosion. Okay? You had some stuff, now it's gone. The house was worth this, now it's worth that. So that's part of the uncertainty of riches. The other part of the uncertainty of riches is to think that stuff can make you happy. That stuff will bring peace. I'm uh, in a summer reading, and I'm right now reading a book on Steve Jobs. And uh, a fascinating guy, uh, not the kind of guy that I'd want to hang around with, I don't think, too much. A guy who's on a search for perfection, a guy who's clearly troubled, who's going to have stuff on stuff, uh, stuff and stuff and stuff, and the whole world wants to have this meeting with him, but inside, he's dying. And there's a whole bunch of you that think, man, if I could be where Jobs is, that would make me happy. And, and what Paul's saying is, watch out, the uncertainty of riches. It can buy you some great health care, but it can't buy you health. It can buy you a house, but it can't buy you a home. It can buy you a bed, but it can't buy you sleep. The uncertainty of riches. So here's the picture. Let's connect it. We have eight minutes and 21 seconds. Okay? Let's see if we can connect that. And you know what? We're just going to ignore that clock. No, I'm not kidding. Right? Don't ignore the clock. That's the one thing they said. Okay? Here's Demas. But then, if that's true, I could ignore them, which would in turn allow me to ignore the clock. So, so let's look at this. Here's Demas. Here's you. Walking along, intimately involved with Paul, intimately involved with Christ. What could cause you to, to walk away? What are the lessons from Demas? Number one. The Christian life is a team sport. The very letter that we've been looking at, 2 Timothy, Paul is writing what we have as his last written communication to the guy he loves most in the whole world, Timothy, a mentor protege. In the baptisms last night and the baptisms again this morning, there was always, there's almost always a person involved. It was my mom, it was my fiance, it was my spouse, it was a friend, it was a pastor. We need one another. Paul, Barnabas, Paul, Demas, you need people in your life. You need simultaneously to be mentoring someone and for you to be mentored at the same time. And I don't know about SBC. I can talk to you about the church I'm part of. The problem we have in the older man, younger man, older woman, younger woman, the problem we have is we don't have enough of the old folks. The young people are there, but the old folks aren't. And for a variety of reason, some of it is legit in their mind anyway. They're going to go, I'm an old guy. I don't know what to do. I don't Twitter. Hashtag I'm irrelevant. You I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know what to do with all of this. Well, let me, let me take the, the, 
They're not looking. These young guys are not looking for you to unpack these profound scriptures. That's helpful, but they're looking for you to unpack life with them. It's a team sport. Number two, don't be surprised by adversity or betrayal. You're going to have adversity in your life. Because you're a Christian, you're not immune from the things around you. I right now have nine doctors. Isn't that amazing? And, and so I, I didn't, I, yeah, I got these guys. And so I have a lot of tests. This is a, a, a test this week. This is Mayo Clinic week, Tuesday and Wednesday. Okay? And they, they walk to their own beat up there. They call you and tell you when you can see them. Okay? And, and they, I, I'm, I'm enjoying mail, okay? But, but I have these other independent specialists, and I'll go in all the time, and they'll do tests, and then you get something like this. You know, Tom, th this is Beth in Dr. Michael's office. Um, if you need your test results, you can just go online and get them. Uh, Tom, this is Beth, Dr. Michael's office. Uh, can you call me back? I want to go through these test. Tom, now it's not Beth. See, Beth doesn't want the responsibility for this call. Tom, this is Dr. Michael's office. Well, Dr. Michael's office can't call. It's an inanimate object. But <laughs> Tom, this is Dr. Michael's office. Can you call? That's not bad. Here's the one you don't want. Tom, this is Dr. Michael. <laughs> can you call? Call me tonight. Well, call me as soon as you can. Okay, well, you should not go, oh, I'm stunned I got bad news. It's part of life. Don't be surprised by that. Don't be surprised that you get a flat tire, or your battery's dead, or your relationships explode, or there's people around you who walk away from you. As Ray Steadman is writing about this, he's reflecting on his own life and guys in his life like Demas, and he says this is a great sentence. Demas is part of your network. You're going to have people like that that you just dump into and they walk away. Number three, past performance doesn't guarantee future results. I'm an infomercial guy and uh, I love the basic format of infomercials. They're not, rad and I'm not equating them here, but they're not much different than what you saw here. Somebody came in, they said, that's what I was, this is what I am now, and there's a testimony. So in the infomercials, and I'm a sucker for, I, I'm the other day, I'm watching, and, uh, and, I, and I'm, I'm watching, and there's this guy, and, and they're before picture, and it looks like me, and, uh, and he said, this is what I was like, and in 60 days, I lost... 37 pounds, and here I am now. Apparently, they don't make shirts his size now. Uh, and so there he is. I like this. Okay. Well, I'm a sucker for this. So I see it, and every time they show a picture like that, it says on the bottom of the screen, results may vary. You mean I'm going to be more ripped than that? No. We mean you aren't going to get, you're going to still be like, with any luck, you won't gain weight on this thing. That's what they mean. Right? 
Well, past performances are important. And, and I just want to say, we, we talk so much about maybe you're here today and you're really hurting. Okay, I got it. But maybe you're here today and you're doing great. Maybe you're here today and you are flying high. Two things to say to you. Number one, congratulations. It seems like we don't say that enough. It seems like we excel when you're really hurting. And, and that's good. But if you're doing well, good for you. So number one, good for you. Number two, remember, this too shall pass. <laughs> so because you're, doing, you're Demas, and I'm sure Demas in there, people are coming to him and say, hey, can you get me in with Paul? I see you with Paul. We can't get Paul for the men's retreat, but maybe you could come and speak, that kind of thing. That doesn't guarantee future results. Number four, failure's not fatal. Now, we, we lose track of Demas. Some scholars suggest that he's mentioned again by John in his little letters in the back under his complete name, Demas being an abbreviation of De, uh, Demetrius, whatever it might be. But, but we don't know that. But let me go back to a guy we do know. Remember the story I told? Paul said, Mark, I don't want Mark. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11. Only Luke is with me. Pick up Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for service. You can be here today, and maybe you're one of us that have blown it really big. Not only will God forgive you, God will use you. I love this in Paul. Hey, hey listen, I got only Luke here, and I'm going through my Rolodex of who I could possibly call. Will you pick up Mark? Because he's useful to me for service. Failure is not fatal. Number five, and it's football season, so almost... To me, it's football season, another 40 days. That's close. The best defense is a good offense. What does that mean? Well, it means let's be proactive. It, earlier in this book, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3, Paul writes these words. Suffer hardship with me, and then he uses three images. As a good soldier... No soldier in active duty entangles themselves in the affairs of everyday life. He's focused. He's dedicated. And as an athlete who doesn't win the prize unless he competes according to the rules, that doesn't mean the discipline of the race. That means the discipline of the preparation for the race. And a farmer who ought to receive uh, the first share of his crop. What kind of farmer? Hardworking. How do I look at my life and make sure I don't fall into the Demas trap, having loved this present world and deserted him? Well, I have the focus and dedication of a soldier and the training and self-control of an athlete and the hardworking diligence of a farmer. There's one last point, number six. You need an eternal perspective. It's in that passage on uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6, 7, 8. Uh, Godliness plus contentment is great gain. I come into the world with nothing. I'm leaving with nothing. 
somebody who's more cynical than me has said, and considering the kind of world it is, I'm lucky to break even. But I came into the world with nothing. I'm leaving with nothing. If I have food and shelter with those, I should be content. Here's the secret to contentment, which I think is the secret to maintaining an eternal perspective. It's the secret that Job discovered and Solomon discovered. Job lost everything, Solomon got everything, and they have the same conclusion. Solomon says, as he came naked from his mother's womb, so he shall return as he came. He'll take nothing from the fruit of his labor. Job said, naked I came from my mother's womb, naked I shall return. In all of this, for you and me, to not be a victim of Demas disease, we need an eternal perspective. My phone is down here, and uh, if I pick it up, I can scroll through the week. As I said, Sandy and I were in Cannon Beach. Uh, we're leaving Friday uh, to do a high school college coaches conference uh, back home in Iowa. So we're gonna be in Cedar Rapids for three days. Then we're gonna stay around an extra week for the Humidity Festival. And uh, uh, won't have enough of that. So we're afraid we'll start to cool off. So then we're going down to St. Louis uh, for a week. So we will get out of the shower Friday night and not be dry for another nine days. Well, I got all these things on my calendar and, and, and and some of them are important, but, but none of them are critical. If you pick up your, and, and I don't say, this is probably not the Sunday message, go get them, Tiger. But most of the stuff on your schedule that you got this week is not something that has this great eternal perspective. I'm not saying don't do it. I'm just saying don't let it ruin you and ruin your day. Those things that are so important, you're getting them on the prayer list. It was a year ago, you were cranking the prayer list in your small group and pray about it. And all of a sudden you meet somebody who really does this, they have a notebook and they say, wow, last year we were praying about this, how'd it turn out? And you're going, I forgot all about that. I don't remember that. That eternal perspective of what really matters. Here's Demas, walking with Paul, working with Paul, not on the fringes. He's in that core group. And in Paul's arguably hour of greatest need, a time where he tells us he's about to die, Demas says, adios, buddy. Why? How can it happen? Love of this present world. Don't love the world or the things of the world. I could almost put warning across it. And maybe, maybe what struck me in Demas is, is he becomes almost autobiographical for me. I don't know. Maybe I'm the only one. But my prayer is that the Holy Spirit would apply this to your heart, not just this week, but for the rest of your life and keep you focused and filled with self-control and hard work as unto the Lord. Father, we pray that this morning. We pray that for the people that are listening here in Shea and over in Cactus and online. 
We pray it not just in some abstract way for the room. Each one of us pray it for ourselves that we would not become that Demas, that one who is so pulled away with the tugs of this present world that we abandon the call you've placed in our life. God, we know that we don't have the ability on our own to stay focused and disciplined and hard work. That's why, God, we come to you. Your yoke is easy. We team up with you as you fill us with your spirit and bring us into your family. God, we pray for Jamie as he's away and pray that you would indeed strengthen him physically emotionally, spiritually, and that he comes back ready to be the man you've called him to be as he leads this church. Pray for the chapel that opens in a couple of weeks, that you would use it for ministry beyond anything we can imagine. God, we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Have a great week.